Let us pray. May only God's word be spoken. May only God's word be heard. Amen. Please be seated. A couple of months ago, in the middle of January, the early Epiphany, but a couple of weeks in which we heard gospel readings, in which we heard about the, early, the first disciples and how they encountered Jesus for the first time and how they came to follow him. Now, the portrait of these early disciples that the Gospels paint for us is one is a rather enthusiastic bunch. It does not take much for them to leave everything behind, families, jobs, responsibilities, and go and follow Jesus. I mean, he had a little bit of reticence, Nathaniel, when he first heard about Jesus from somebody else. He was like, from Nazareth, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And uh, Philip said, well, come and see. And as soon as Nathaniel met Jesus, he was like, yeah, clearly. And he also left everything and followed Jesus. Now, the portrait of the Gospels paint, though, is that this enthusiasm to leave everything and follow Jesus does not translate into an enthusiasm to actually listen to Jesus. It's kind of an awkward situation. Um, like when Peter like, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him uh, for what he's teaching, and Jesus is like, no, I'm going to go rebuke you right back. Um, a few weeks ago, up on the Mount Transfiguration, when the voice said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. The disciples don't do a very good job of this. And the most epic failure of all in their listening, of course, is uh, by the cross. Because Jesus told them time and again, I'm going to have to die. It's going to be by a cross. And it actually happens, and they all disappear. All those really enthusiastic ones. I mean, there were a couple of disciples who hung back with him, according at least to, to a couple of the Gospels. But those really enthusiastic ones who we heard about in Epiphany, those first disciples, no. Nah, none of them stuck around. They abandoned him in that moment. In our gospel today, we have the beginning of a different sort of portrait about a different kind of disciple. And that is about Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is um, he's a man full of faith. He's a, a well-respected community and religious leader. He uh, is very well off, uh, respected, and he's been hearing about Jesus. And he's intrigued. He knows there's something about God going on in this. But he doesn't quite know what to make of it. And so he goes at night when it is dark so that people can't see him. Um, also, this is John's gospel. Light and dark are like always a metaphor for John from the first chapter to the last. So there's some kind of metaphorical understanding, probably something here to do with kind of Nicodemus's own internal sense. He's feeling some sense of darkness in his confusion, his lack of understanding. He's, he's looking for the light, the clarity. And so he goes to Jesus by night, and he starts asking questions. And unlike those disciples who it seems like at the first word are ready to leave everything, this guy isn't so sure. So he asks more questions, he probes, with these beautiful lines from Jesus, but you know they don't they don't set right uh, with Nicodemus at first. So he actually leaves this conversation, 
not yet sure. It's kind of still, it's still night. It's still in his darkness. He's not quite sure what he makes about Jesus at this point. So fast forward several chapters. Jesus and John's gospel goes back and forth between Galilee and Jerusalem a lot. So Jesus is now back in Jerusalem again. That's where Nicodemus lives. Uh, he's there for the, the festival of booths. And um, Jesus is teaching. And people are beginning to come to him. They're beginning to talk about him as the Messiah. And that's getting the leaders scared. Understandably so, by the way. Because their understanding of the Messiah is someone who's going to lead an armed rebellion against their oppressor. And so if they get this wrong about who the Messiah is, uh, that's not going to be good for them because Rome's going to come and squash the movement. So you don't want to jump behind someone who you are not convinced is the Messiah to do this, as they're thinking. And so the leaders get together, and they're really quite unhappy. And they want to do something about Jesus. And they've made up their mind that he is not the Messiah. Why? Because he's from Nazareth. That's a whole other sermon we've talked about sometime. Um, they've made up their mind he's not the Messiah. And so they want him arrested. And they're upset that it hasn't happened yet. They've been trying to get the guards to arrest him. And Nicodemus is there. He's one of these leaders. And he kind of... He doesn't give a full-throated uh, defense of Jesus at this point. It's kind of like he sticks his toe into the water defending Jesus and kind of does the bare minimum defense here. He says, doesn't he at least deserve a trial? Should we have a little bit of due process? Just kind of, I mean, that's kind of the, the bare minimum, right? And, and even that gets them to turn on him, turn on Nicodemus. They say, no, what are you talking about? We don't need a trial. We already know the answer. He's obviously not the Messiah. This is going to be bad for us. Besides, he's from Galilee. Are you from Galilee, Nicodemus? Right? There's kind of a guilt by association. They're trying to paint on Nicodemus just for requesting a trial. So I think Nicodemus has gained the point here that it would be dangerous for him to be a follower of Jesus. Let's fast forward again. Jesus goes back to Galilee, comes back to Jerusalem, this time for the festival of Passover, which also happens to be when he goes to the cross and he dies. And all those super enthusiastic disciples, where are they? They have all run away. But who is there? But Nicodemus. When push comes to shove, he shows up. And he does the right thing. He brings 100 pounds, 100 Roman pounds, about 34 pounds today as we'd understand it, about 34 pounds of perfumes and um, oils to, uh, to, to anoint his body probably to prepare it for death. And this is just like an extravagant amount which shows his wealth, but also kind of really it shows everyone his affection, his care, his love for Jesus, to be willing to bring that much stuff to take care of him. This is more than the bare minimum now that he has done. He's signaling to everybody that yes, he is a follower of Jesus. So we have these two portraits of disciples. The super enthusiastic ones, and the reticent ones. 
Now, I'm not trying to suggest that one is better than the other. I just want to say that there are different paths that a follower of Jesus can take. And if you are like St. Peter and you are one of those super enthusiastic ones, God bless you. That is wonderful. I think it's fantastic. Um, do make sure you listen. And don't let your enthusiasm get in the way of your listening like those other guys did. But it is wonderful. But if you all find yourself, maybe a bit like me, a little bit more reticent sometimes about all this, that's okay too. That is a good and valid path as well. One that's willing to continue to ask questions, to push and to wonder. When push comes to shove, the important thing is, where are we on Good Friday? In the end, what really matters is not which path we take, but that we try our best to put our trust in God as we understand it in Jesus Christ, his son. For in those beautiful words we heard in that gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who trusts him may not perish but have eternal life, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but nor the world might be saved through him. In the end, it is about what Jesus does for us in God's love that matters the most. So keep trying to follow, enthusiastically or with reticence, joyfully or full of questions, or both at the same time. It's all good, because God loves you. Amen.